0: guys can grab a seat. That's good stuff. Good worshiping the Lord with you. We're uh, going today to look at a a passage of scripture. We're going to see a a, a guy making a really bad decision that uh, implicates his entire family. And so let me start by giving uh, you dads and and you families in general uh, just the opportunity to make a good decision. Uh, You may or may not have noticed this if you're dropping your kids off at the River Kids area. But we have these things every week for you. It's, it's just a family devotional. Um, we would just encourage all of our families here to be regularly involved in a, a family devotional throughout the course of the week. Maybe you want to call it family worship, whatever you call it. But uh, it's just a very powerful time for you as a family to get together to worship the Lord and uh, for mom and dad just to really pour into each other and into the children. And so this is just a good way to start that with your children. It just really is a review of what they learned in their uh, River Kids area uh, this morning and it's just a, a, a really simple opportunity for you to review the Bible story, have a little activity together. So I just want to encourage you guys to uh, grab one of those if you haven't been doing that. This is just a one-time gig every week, so it's, it's a good start. But then maybe from there, if you have any questions as to how to continue that, I'd love to sit and talk with you, have coffee about how we do it at the Wyatt household. But I want to encourage you to make a really good decision uh, this morning as we're starting to look at a guy who makes a really bad decision. And... Uh, I just want to uh, encourage you in that. I also want to introduce you this morning to a young family who made a really good decision, a big step of faith, and uh, I want to introduce you to Ben and Holly. So I'm going to have Ben and Holly come on up here, and this is their little baby girl, Cecilia, and they actually just flew in last night, what's up guys, from Boston, or to Boston from Atlanta, and uh, this family stepped out, took a really big step of faith, and they've been raising support so that they could live up here in Boston with us as missionaries, and Ben's going to be... Uh, serving in the area of uh, worship leader and also uh, what we call our connections director and uh, kind of helping people get a little deeper connected here into the body. And so this is uh, Holly and Ben and maybe Cecilia. She kind of steals the show. Hello. So I want to ask you guys to be praying for them, and I want to ask you guys just to um, just really write their name down somewhere. If you would do that right now, this week is a really big week for them. Ben's actually going to turn around and uh, go back. Fly back to Atlanta. The girls are here to stay, but he's going to go back to Atlanta, hop on a moving truck, and bring all his stuff up here. The problem is, they don't know where they're bringing their stuff to because they don't have an apartment yet. So they have like four, five, six days max to find an apartment. And so uh, if you would pray hard about that, that would be really, really good. Um, and they really need your prayers. So why don't we take a minute? Let's pray for them. Let's pray for our gathering. And then we'll jump right into our, our time together this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for, again, the opportunity to come together like this and to worship you in song and to worship you with, with pure hearts as we uh, look at your word. And God, I just want to, especially this morning, uh, lift up to you Ben and Holly and baby Cecilia as they're taking this big step of faith as a family. God, I pray that we as a, a young church would come around them and we would support them, we would care for them, meet their needs, love on them. Uh, But more importantly than anything, that we would just come before uh, your throne regularly, boldly, asking you uh, to first support them so that they can make it up here in this tough area. But they could also uh, have an apartment. They would find one this week. They're looking at many places, Lord, this week. You know that. and You have the right place for them. And I pray that you would guide them to that. God, give them uh, comfort and peace in this transition. And, Lord, I pray that their, their ministry here in Boston would be fruitful and it would be lasting. And so we just commit them to you and we commission them. In your name, Lord. Father, uh, this morning, I pray that you would illuminate scriptures to our heart. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, we would hear some stuff that is just powerful, that is applicable, that we can put into practice today. And Lord, I pray that that you would just uh, be glorified in all of this. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and uh, we commit it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Be praying for them. Definitely be praying for them. Well, we're going to... uh, start a book this morning uh, that I've been looking forward to us jumping into for quite some time. It's the book of Ruth. And uh, I'm just excited to teach through the book of Ruth. And let me just let you know why we will be making it a regular habit to go through books of the Bible. Not always, but most often we're going to go through books of the Bible here. And the reason is, is because preachers have their preferences. Guys who teach have their preferences. They have certain passions and things that they like to hit on. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through books because what it does going through the book of the Bible it really forces me to teach you exactly what's in here and, uh, and, and keeps me from getting on my one or two soapboxes. And so uh, I want to encourage you uh, to, as we go through these books of the Bible regularly, I want to encourage you to go home to study these on your own. You're going to discuss them in our connection groups that we have a uh, couple throughout the city right now and then we're going to eventually have uh, some all over greater Boston area if, if the Lord is willing and gracious in that sense. But I want to encourage you as we go through these books of the Bible to just really dig in and really uh, take it so that you can understand the book as a whole and then the, the, uh, the biblical narrative as a whole. And the Bible uh, in Acts chapter 20, Paul sets the example for, for preachers, for pastors, for elders and teachers of the church to preach the whole counsel of God. And so we're going to go through books of the Bible, including this book, starting today. We're going to go through the book of Ruth. And so what will happen is if I ever skip over a chapter, all you've got to do is just grab me by the lapels and, and start saying, Josh, what in the world? Is, is that chapter ripped out of your Bible? So it forces me to teach you guys the difficult stuff and not just get on my soapbox. And so this morning, we're going to look at the book of Ruth, and it is uh, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. And... Uh, Ladies, I think you're gonna enjoy this book because it's one of those it's one of those sappy kind of love stories. And so girls, you're there, you're there. And maybe some of you men, your wife, uh, drag you to uh, the, the chick flick. so you're gonna get a little bit of that. It'll be good. And guys, you're gonna love this story because we're gonna look at biblical masculinity, so just say it with me. Arr. All right, we're gonna look at some I guess that was more of a pirate than masculine, right? Whatever. So we're gonna we're gonna look at some biblical masculinity and we're actually Guys in the front row, the, the single high schoolers here, we're actually going to look at how to win the heart of a girl. So you're going to like that. So you might want to keep coming back. But uh, this story is, it's packed with truths that will really apply to our, our lives and, and will apply to our lives really immediately. It teaches about romantic love. It teaches about biblical friendship. It teaches about how to interact with a body of believers. It teaches about wise decisions. But ultimately, the whole thing, that's why we're calling this Ruth and Redemption, the whole thing really teaches us, about redemption and biblical redemption. And basically what we're going to do as we go through this book is we're just going to see a few really incredible people, historical, true-to-life people. And we're just going to see what God does in them and through them and their attitudes and their actions and what they do. And we're going to learn from that. We're especially going to focus in uh, beginning next week on this girl, Ruth, and really see how God takes this simple girl named Ruth and how he redeems her and how he really redeems all of humanity and we're going to work on that word redeem and we're going to work on that word redemption throughout the course of our our, our time together in this this series on the book of Ruth and I, you know again I just want to encourage you as we go through it study it at home put everything practically immediately to application and live this thing out but let's let's start by this by show of hands how many how many of you in here have ever made a bad decision uh, not not many okay my both of my hands are up there we go I like that both both of my hands are up uh, one bad decision I was reflecting back, the only one I probably ever made, actually, was uh, back when I was in, in elementary school, uh, my brother and I were in the backyard of our house in Georgia. And in Georgia, where we're originally from, there's this thing called a uh, kudzu. And you probably have no clue what kudzu is, but it's like this really crazy vine that rumor has it it can grow up to six inches a day in the summer. And it just, it takes over everything. And in the winter, the fall and the winter, it dies and it gets real brittle. And uh, you don't ever want to, like take a a match to it, but I did. (laughs) And so I actually burnt down the entire woods behind my house, just acres and acres of wood, fire trucks and everything. So that was like my one bad decision throughout the course of my life. But we're going to talk this morning about a really, really important concept. And it's so important. And I really believe that if we will take it and we will apply it, it will save you and, and, and those people that are near and dear to you, a ton, a ton of trouble and heartache. And so the concept is, is biblical decision-making. We're going to look at biblical decision-making. And, and we're going to see uh, from this, this first uh, few verses of the book of Ruth what biblical decision-making should not look like. And we're going to talk about how we actually make uh, a God-honoring biblical decisions So take your Bibles, turn to the book of Ruth, and uh, just so you know, for future record, um, when you're coming into the back corner, there's Bibles there that you can take, and we like to read through the ESV, so the the, the book of Ruth, chapter one, and, and we're just going to look together at the story that will really show us this morning the impact of just one decision and what that decision can, can do in our lives, and so let's check it out. Ruth chapter one, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Uh, Ruth chapter one, verse one, and we'll... Start taking it apart piece by piece here. You ready? Root chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled. All right, so right up front, what we get is this, this snapshot of history. We're in this period that's known to be the, the period of the judges. And the period is uh, running from about 1200 to 1020 B.C. And if you know anything about the biblical timeline, uh, what we have here in the period of the judges is this period that goes from the death of Joshua until the uh, coronation of Saul as king. And if you ever want to just study this period of the Judges, go to the book of Judges just before Ruth and, and read through that. And it really shows us this uh, historical account of the period of the Judges. And it shows us that it's just this terribly wicked, rebellious period in the history uh, of Israel where the people just over and over and over and over again. It seems like they just repeat this awful pattern of just... Just these terrible, rebellious actions against the Lord. Just increasing wickedness with every generation. And, and of course, in this, this narrative, there, there are certainly exceptions. And one of the exceptions as we're looking together is the, this, this girl, Ruth. And we're not going to see Ruth so much this morning. We're going to just see how she ties into this story. But she really kind of stands out in this period of darkness. And she stands out in part because of her character, but also because of the grace that God gives her in her life, and so we're going to look at the, this this girl Ruth, and this is a really short story, but um, it, it focuses on Ruth in this wicked, wicked, rebellious uh, period. This morning, I want to look particularly at this uh, father-in-law of of Ruth, and we're going to we're going to check this guy out. So let's read it again. It says, "Verse one: In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So here's the deal: There's a famine." in the land uh, that they live in. And it doesn't directly say it, but the famine is likely God's judgment on these people, on his people, for their wickedness and for their rebellion because they refuse to obey him. So he says, I refuse then to to feed you because ultimately our daily bread doesn't come from whole foods. Ultimately, our daily bread doesn't come from Shaw's. Ultimately, our daily bread comes from the Lord. And so there's this famine in the land. Let's read on it. It says, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And so we see there's a famine in the land, and I want you to notice this. In which town? There's a famine in the land, and particularly in, in Bethlehem. And think about this for a second now. What does what does Bethlehem mean? Bethlehem means house of bread. So let's just let's catch catch the irony here. It's like the people who work at Panera bread are locked inside yet they're starving to death. Do you catch that? In the house of bread, people are starving. They're hungry. And because of the famine, people are having trouble providing food for their families, for their, for their children. Times are hard. People are hurting. Everything is just really difficult financially, all the implications of, of, of this famine. It's just a very difficult time. And maybe many of us this morning can even relate to that. It's a difficult time in our economy. Maybe you're having trouble providing for your family. Maybe you're having trouble paying the bills, and that's kind of really where they're at. And then the the, the text gets even more particular as it begins to kind of focus in and zone in on this one family. There's a husband and a wife, and then there are two children, this Jewish family. And I don't know about you, but things get really, really personal and really sensitive when when my kids are involved, when kids are involved. And so we start to see that kids are involved. Look at verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So again, we've, we've zoned in to this one particular family, and, and we're introduced to this man, and his name is Elimelech. We look at Elimelech, and his name means my God is king. But what we're going to see throughout these few verses this morning is that he doesn't really act like God is his king. And then we see his wife, her name is Naomi, and Naomi means sweetheart. So we're going to look at uh, this lady, uh, Naomi, much throughout the course of this, this gathering. And we see that their children are Malon and, and Kilion. And I know, I know us Christians, we like to name our children hip Bible names. I name my uh, sons after Bible names. But let me just warn you, don't name your kids Malon and Kilion because it means sick and dying. So I know they kind of sound Lord of the Rings-ish and such, but but don't go. it's just cruel. Literally, it means disease and, and wasting. It says that they were Ephrathites, uh, which is the old name for Bethlehem. They were Ephrathites. And then it says, so Elimelech from the town of Bethlehem decides to go for this short period of, of time uh, from Bethlehem to the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And so what we see is that there's no famine in, in Moab, but there's famine in, in, in Bethlehem. And, and that's why this man wants to relocate his family there. He, he wants to provide for them. And it's interesting, if you look at the map, they're only 50 miles away from each other. And that really shows us that, yes, this famine was God's judgment on his people. Only 50 miles away in Moab, they're, they're being fed, but not in, in Bethlehem. And, and, and God's judgment is upon his people in, in Bethlehem. And so let's be very careful not to overly apply this. And say that all famine is, is God's specific judgment on people. But we see that this is God's judgment on his people. And he's doing it in love. It's like he's saying, wake up. I love you. I care for you. I want the best for you. I want you to live a life that honors me. A life that, that follows me. And he's saying, here's his message. If you trust me, if you obey me, I will provide for you. And I want you to get that. If you trust God, if you obey God, He will provide for you. We've been looking in 1 Peter chapter 3 that God provides us all things necessary pertaining to life and and to godliness. So get that. If you trust him, he will provide for you. And so since there's famine in his land, his father is really put to this place where he's got to make a decision, uh, a big decision. Will I take my family from, from Bethlehem and uproot them and put them into Moab so that they can be fed or will I keep them here in Bethlehem where where they're starving. And what was his decision, as we read? His decision is, I think I'll leave. I think I'll provide for my family in that sense. It seems pretty reasonable. And so instead of dealing with the sin here in Bethlehem, he uproots his family. It seems as though he's now running from the problem. And, And this really is what many men do with their families. And they don't really realize often the implications of this. But they chase after upward mobility, uh, economic success. And they do that, but they don't really realize the implications that it has in, in, in their, their families. And uh, so he moves, he runs rather than dealing with the sin. And it doesn't really initially seem like a bad decision, but it actually really is a bad decision. And let me kind of give you why. Because here in Moab, it is not a place for God's people to be hanging out. Moab, if, if you know the, the story, Genesis chapter 19, it's, it's the product of incest where Lot has relations with his daughter, and, and they have a child who is named Moab. And so, this, this people grow actually to become this really incestual group of people, just really wicked uh, people who don't worship God. In fact, they worship this false God named, named Chemosh. And so, God's people weren't to surround themselves with with the Moabites, but Elimelech makes this decision to move his family there and to put his family among these people. It seems rational, maybe at first, but as you start to look at, at the history of the Bible and what the Moabites were all about, it really is a, a bad decision. And I want us to notice, and what we've just read as well, that, that it says that he decides to sojourn to Moab. And, and just think about what this word sojourn means. Sojourn means to, say, to stay somewhere for a short period of time, to just be there temporarily. In other words, his plan was, I'm going to take my family, I'm going to bring them over here, I'm going to fatten them up, I'm going to make some money, and then we're going to go back. That was, that was the plan, but it was this momentary compromise in his faith in the Lord. And so often, if, if maybe you can reflect in your life, those, just those, those simple momentary compromises in your faith in God often come back and they bite us, or... What was just a plan in your mind, or maybe not even consciously, it was just this momentary compromise that, that, that you were just going to let it be momentary. It ends up becoming a lasting compromise. And so the plan was to sojourn, verse 1, and, and I want you to see how it, it compares to verse 2 where it says what actually happened. He planned to sojourn, but verse 2, the end of verse 2, it says he remained there. He, he remained there. And so again, think about what he's done and where he's remaining with his family. Think about the fact that he made this decision to uproot his family and bring them to a place where they will likely be the only God, Yahweh, worshiping family. Take them from their, their, their community, much like we are forming here with this church. Take them away from that. Take them away from their support system, their believing friends and, and family. Not to take this great, beautiful faith step, but just to fill up some bellies. He's taken them away from that and brought them to this place that is just sick and, and, and perverted where they worship a fake God. And so it turns from a great spiritual opportunity where all they had to do is repent. And he does so for food. And, and, and ultimately, instead of just accepting the punishment and dealing with the sin that caused the famine, he makes a really, really poor decision. Now, let's read on and, and, and see the, the results here. Verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. So this is crazy. He moves to Moab so that he can live and says he dies. It's just absolutely crazy. And he leaves behind in Moab in this foreign land, his wife and, and his two sons. And this is just absolutely horrible. And, and if, you know, being a widow in this day and age is terrible. But in that day, if you become a widow, you are, you are destined to poverty, unless you have some sons. And, and, and they had some sons, and, and so fortunately, they'll, they'll look out for her. They'll take care of her. So let's read on. Verse 4. These took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. And so we, we see more results from Elimelech's bad decision. What we see here is that th- this father, he, he gives in to the, the pressure for upward mobility gives him to the pressure of, of, of trying to really not deal with the sin but provide and, and, and give prosperity to his family. And he uproots into a bad location. He dies, but not only does he die, his his sons marry these Moabite women, these women who worship a fake God. Clearly, Scripture makes it clear that this is not how we are to live. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says that God doesn't want us to marry. a a non-believer therefore dating a non-believer if you're a christian is 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 a sin but not just one of those little sins like oops i slipped up and i gossiped." it's not one of those little sins like oops that was that was half true it's one of those sins that says i am committed daily committed to be in this relationship with somebody by whose very nature me being a follower of christ and them not being shouldn't have much in common with me it's it's a really big (laughs) sin in the eyes of the lord and so his, his, his sons, his children, marry these Moabite women. And, and who's at fault here? Of course, these, these boys have to take some responsibility. But first and foremost, I think the, the blame lies on Elimelech for this decision that he made to move his family to Moab. And, and this is what should be expected. If, if, if you uproot your family and move to California... The kids are going to marry somebody, some hippie from California, right? And, and, and that's just how it works. And, and, and so often uh, that's the case. People don't consider the implications of job changing and, and moving. And you know, Elimelech made a bad decision. Let's read on now. Verse 5. Catch this. Then both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So Elimelech moves his family to Moab. No, he sojourns with his family to Moab. His intention was just to be there shortly and to come back. It's supposed to be this just this momentary compromise. I, I, I know that he knew he was compromising. He, he knew he was compromising. But he didn't come back. They remained there. They married Moabite women. He dies. And then the boys die. And it says they, they had remained there for 10, 10 years. Think back in your life, 10 years, and everything that's happened in your life over the course of 10 years, that's a long time. brings them there to live, but they die. And I just want you to begin by hearing just this very clear lesson from this story in the book of Ruth, this first story that we're looking at, and that is that your decisions today affect your life tomorrow. You've got to hold on to that. Your decisions today affect your life Tomorrow, Elimelech and his family lived in Bethlehem, which I think in many ways compares uh, to, to Boston today. Boston's a really tough area financially to survive in. I mean, it is difficult for rent. It is, is, it is just unbelievably difficult. And, and, and so often you'll see in the, in the polls that, that Boston bounces around with D.C. and San Francisco and New York City and San Diego. Those, those five kind of bounce around between which one's going to be the top most expensive place in the country to live in. Just a few years ago, Boston was at, at the top. So it's a, it's a difficult place to live, but, but we want to encourage you here, remain in the city. Stay in the city. We really believe that God has a strategic plan for cities in America to reach the cultures. And we, 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 we specifically believe that God has a, a plan for Boston to reach all of New England. We often say here that we have a heart to reach New England. And if you're going to reach New England, it begins in Boston, which is the hub of, of New England. And so that's our heart. We want to encourage you. Remain in the city. I know it's tough. Remember what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, at the ascension, at the end of our, our resurrection appearances that we've been looking at of Jesus. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the city first. And then Judea, the region. And Samaria, the next region. And then the uttermost parts of the world. Likewise, we believe if we're going to reach New England begins in Boston, and it reaches to greater Boston, which goes up to Nashua, Manchester, Hartford, Worcester, and then into all of New England, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. I know it's difficult, but in faith, I would just encourage you, stay, stay here. God wants to use you. And it was the same story in Elimelech's hometown of Bethlehem. Difficult, difficult place to live. And he didn't count the spiritual costs of his decision to move. He didn't realize, or at least he didn't put enough thought into the consequences and the chain reaction of what would happen based on his decision, and his decision-making was very short-sighted, very short-sighted, and he thought about immediate gratification rather than than long-term results, and so the the encouragement this morning is know that your decisions today affect your life tomorrow. What about you? What decisions are are we making, even today, decisions that maybe we have ahead of us in in the month, weeks, uh, year ahead of you? And, and what kind of implications is that going to have in, in your life? And they affect, you've got to know this, they affect the lives of others. Parents, your decisions affect your your, your, your spouse, your children, your, your grandchildren. Your decisions are huge, major, lasting implications. I had this story that just forever uh, burned into my head by a, a mentor pastor that talked about how there was a CEO who, who made this decision to... to continue to climb this corporate ladder until he becomes a CEO, but it costs him his family. Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Think about your, your, your decisions and, and how they have implications in your life. For me, I, I just my, my heart for us as a church is, is, is to know that, that, that we, we want to protect you. We want to protect your family. And, 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 and maybe for you, a decision to uh, be really uh, involved in your business is is maybe not the right decision. To climb the corporate ladder might not be the right decision because of what it does to your family. For many of us, being involved, overly involved in good things can be a bad decision. That's why we're we're really committed here to keep this place very simple. We don't want to overcomplicate this. We want to keep it simple so that you can keep the main thing the main thing, which is your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with your spouse, if you have a spouse, and your relationship with your children. Your family. Keep that the main thing. So we're going to keep it very, very simple here. Because a good thing, a good thing can often be a bad decision to be involved in it. For example, for me as a a pastor, I have a lot of opportunities to be involved in good things. But I feel like I'm marked more by what I say no to than what I say yes to. I fight really hard to protect now my Mondays. That's my off day. Protect that so I can protect my family. That's our, our Sabbath. A lot of good opportunities come my way for monday to build the kingdom to serve people but i need to keep the main thing the main thing and so like yesterday um we, we actually made our, our sabbath because our week's kind of crazy this week we made yesterday a really focused off day for the morning with with the family and, and one thing we like to do just to, to have some good family time together so a, a really simple decision is, is is we like to keep uh this day just really protected and so we we like to get up in the morning. I get up in the morning early with the boys so Becky can sleep in a little later. And we make pancakes and bacon, which is the key to a man's heart. You know this. And so uh, we're making pancakes and bacon, and I just set off all the smoke detectors in the house. It was terrible. I mean, just, we could not get the smoke out of the house. It was it was just brutal. And uh, sometimes what we'll do is, is, another thing we'll do, just good family time, just a, a really pointed decision we'll make is we'll just go to McDonald's, nice healthy trip to McDonald's with the kids, and and that's, our, our, big, uh, that's our, our morning ritual on the off day. Either breakfast at home, pancakes and, and bacon, or a trip to McDonald's. But it's a decision that we're going to protect this day. I know I could work. I know I could do a good thing that day. But the best thing is to be with my family. And so we need to know that our decisions affect our life tomorrow, even if initially it seems like it's a good decision, it's a good step to take. It might not be. And we need to think very carefully about that, how we can protect our marriage, how we can protect our family. Right decisions, wise time commitments, so be very careful about that. Elimelech, his decision seemed good. I'll provide for my family. I'll move up the ladder, so to speak. In the end, it wasn't really thought out. His kids were fed and fat, but they died. They died. Bad decision. Elimelech's poor wife, she, she goes on, as we'll, we'll read in weeks ahead, and, and she changes her name from Naomi, which means sweetheart. She says, no, call me Mara, which means bitter. It all stems back to her husband's bad decision. Can you just imagine for this wife having to deal with three funerals of people in your immediate family? Can you even imagine? One is terrible. Can you imagine three? I can't imagine anything worse. Her family life has ended. And it stems back to her husband's bad, bad decision. She's stuck in this pagan country that doesn't worship her God with no support system, alone, alone with her and now her her daughter-in-laws. And unless God changes the course of events, it does, it does not look good. It's bleak. But God, we're going to see through this series, in his grace, he does. He changes the, the course of events. And as we focus on this girl, Ruth, we're going to see that God redeems Ruth. And he redeems uh, Naomi. He, what he does is he takes the bad, he replaces it with the good. And, and God wants to do that with you. I want, I want you to find hope in that throughout the course of this 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 book. He wants to do that with you. He wants to take your life, and he wants to redeem it. He wants to redeem your time. He wants to redeem your effort. He wants to redeem your eternity. That's what our God, in His grace, does. And and and, and they didn't necessarily uh, they didn't necessarily know what God was doing in this story, but He does it in His grace. He brings redemption, and it all stems back, however, to Elimelech's bad decision. So now what? Now what for us? I don't, I don't want to just kind of end with a nice little motivational talk, make good decisions. But I want to kind of round third base here by just giving you some practical tools on, on how to make good decisions. And so let's continue on and we're going to just look at a few steps for, for biblical decision making. And I just want to help you um, with some practical resources here. Um, some of your decisions in your life are, are going to be small decisions that don't seem major or massive, but you need to know that that they do have implications for you and for the lives of others. Some of your decisions are clearly just massive decisions. Will I move? Will I take this job offer? Where will I go to college? Will I continue in my master's? Will I stay here? Will I go there? Uh, who will I date? Who will I marry? There's all kinds of major decisions in front of us, and those obviously affect our future. But all of your decisions today have great potential to affect your life tomorrow. So let's just look at a few uh, biblical decision making points helps and they, they do go in somewhat of a progressive order i'm not one to give you five points i'm not very formulaic in how i teach and I don't, I don't know that 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 really helps us but this morning i think it really does and so um we're gonna we're just gonna spend the next little while looking at ephesians chapter 5 15 through 17 and then we'll look at a few more passages but they'll just be on the screen so you don't have to flip around too much i don't want to burn too much calories out of your fingers there But Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17. Go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of context here. Paul's teaching Christians about not being marked, not being deceived by the sins of the world. So he then gives them these guides, this this warning, this caution about making biblical and and, and God-honoring, God-minded decisions. I believe that Paul's help here is really going to save us from a lot of trouble. So read with me Ephesians chapter five, fifteen. starting there. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So here's the first step. You may want to write these down. We'll have them on the screen. If you need them later, we can hook you up with those. first step is this. We need to slow down and we need to think. It seems so simple, it seems so obvious, but we need to slow down and think. I remember my mother always, as a child, like she said this all the time, Joshua, what were you thinking? Right? she always just freaked out at me. What were you thinking? And the truth was, I wasn't thinking. I, w- I really wasn't thinking. I just, I just did things and just full on, full speed ahead in those things. And we need to slow down. When Paul says be careful, what he means is slow down. Look around. Look how you're living, how you're walking. Slow down, pay close attention, do what you're doing well. This applies to me when uh, at home I'm washing dishes. Uh, when I was, uh, it was just a, a few years ago, uh, we were excited. We got this new dishwasher. We were pumped about it in our new house. And uh, I, you're going to hate me for this, but I hate doing dishes. And my definition of doing dishes is putting dishes from the sink into the dishwasher. So if you don't have a dishwasher, I apologize because you're mad at me for not liking just loading it, but I just hate it. And so what I do, okay, is, is I just decide, I'll just make a game out of it, and that's what I do. I just make everything a game. And so just picture this. I have the sink here full of dirty dishes, and then I have the dishwasher, and then over here we have the stove with the time there. And what I would do is I would just set the timer, and I would just start to time myself. And every time i load the dishes, I'd just see if I could do it faster and faster and faster. I'm, just, I'm telling you, I got good. I was good, like gold medal winning. It was incredible. And so one day, Becky says, Josh, have you, um, have you noticed that we're missing a lot of drinking glasses and, and plates? I was just like, um, uh, you know, this is that awkward moment. Uh, yeah, um, so about that, I was, I was playing a game. What? You were doing what? And I had to explain myself to her, and she just thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Ridic- ridiculous. And she says, Josh, slow down. You're, you're breaking things. And I just want us to catch that. We have to slow down because we make these fast decisions and we're just, yes, I'll do that, no, I'll do that, no, yep. We just make all these decisions. We don't realize that we can break things. We can hurt things. We can hurt people. We can hurt relationships. We can affect our families. We need to be very careful and slow down. And so the first point that we need to catch is slow down and, and, and think about the decisions that, that we're making. Think about it because we can cause a lot of damage. And, and why? It says because days are evil. In other words, every day Satan puts things before you that can, that can mess up your life drastically. That's his goal. He just wants to ruin you. He wants to bring death into your life. He wants to do that. And so every day you have this opportunity to fall, to so slow down and, and think. First point. Next point, moving on. Seek biblical wisdom. Just real quickly, I want to read to you James chapter 1, verse 5. You don't have to flip there, but James chapter 1, verse 5. says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Listen, God loves to give you his wisdom, biblical wisdom, his wisdom from the Lord. And so we need to be very, very careful to pray through decisions. Not only slow down and just meditate on the decision, but slow down and pray through the decisions. I don't know where you're at on that, if you just make decisions and and don't pray about it, but we need to be faithful to pray through all of our decisions, even if it just instantly seems like an obvious. Take some time to slow down and then pray through through the decision and say, God, give me your wisdom because he loves to give you wisdom. So often you see in Scripture that he just honors people who say, I need you, I need your wisdom, I need your advice, I need your answer. He honors that, so pray through your decision and God will... Will give it to you, and, and every part of the decision-making process should just be permeated with prayer, and so that's that's huge. And, and just you say, "Ask, do you pray through life's decisions?" Or is it just something that you just don't think about? Let's let's begin to make that a habit to pray through it. Next point, moving quicker. Define the define the decision. We need to define our decisions, and, and here's what I mean. We need, to, we need to determine these decisions that are before us if it's a moral decision or a non-moral decision. And, 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 and moral decisions are actually fairly easy because moral decisions are those decisions that, that we can find a clear answer in Scripture. In other words, God has said, yes or no, this is my will, this is not my will. But so often it's like God tells us what to do and then we say, well, let me pray about that. I'm telling you, I, the day has come already when, when, when I tell my son to do something and he just kind of holds on for a little while. He just holds on and drags his feet. He doesn't do it. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I'm telling you, if, if my dad told me to do something, like very specific, and I said, well, dad, let me pray about that. Can you imagine, like, what the wrath of, of dad would just be? It would be brutal, right? Listen, for, for, for many of us, that's how we're treating these clear commands, the clear will revealed to us of God in the Bible. Very clear black and white moral. God, let me let me pray about that. I'm not sure if that's really what you want me to do. So you have to define the decision. Is it a moral decision laid out in scripture? Or is it what I would call one of those those non-moral decisions? It's not really clear black and white. Do I move here? Do I marry her? Do I marry him? Do I date her? Do I date him? Do I go to this school? What, what, what am I to do? It's not necessarily black and white Clear and what we need to do then is to define and determine that. And, and remember, Ephesians chapter five, uh, continuing on from where we looked verse seventeen, it goes on and it says, "Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is." So God wants to make known to you what His will is, even if it doesn't seem black and white. He wants to make His will known to you in, in those moral decisions, and those those moral decisions are found in Scripture. But those 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 uh, Those non-moral decisions are not necessarily found blatantly in Scripture. And and if that's the case, we we continue on past this this step, this step three. We we prayerfully consider the decision. We've asked God for his his wisdom, his clarity on this. And and then we move on to step four, which is seek counsel. We need to to seek counsel. And, And this is really, really important. So often God likes to reveal... His will to us through godly counsel. You ever thought about Solomon, who the Bible says was the wisest man to ever live? I mean, he's just wise beyond our imagination. But so often you read from Solomon, he's constantly asking God for wisdom. Now, just simple common sense says, if you're the wisest man to ever live, you don't need wisdom. Right? You, are, you, already, you already have it. You, maybe, maybe you know the story. In First Kings chapter 3, where he, he asked the Lord for wisdom, he could have asked God for anything, anything, but not long life, not riches, not the life of his enemies. He says he asked God for wisdom, for discernment and executing justice. He asked that from God. And so God gives it to him. He's now the wisest man to ever live, Scripture says. He's got that from the Lord. But what does he continue to do? He continues to ask godly people for for counsel. Let me just give you some some scripture that's on the screen here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. It says, let the wise, this is coming from Solomon. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. If you're already wise. Add to your learning, getting guidance. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, Plans fail for lack of counsel but with many advisors, they succeed. And then Proverbs 19, 20, Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. And so it's, it's kind of clear here. Wisdom seeks counsel. Wise people don't say, I'm wise. I'll leave it at that. The truly wise will continue to get godly counsel. And we see that in, in Solomon. It's said James 1, 5 principle. He asks God for wisdom. God gives it. But then... He continues on and seeks wisdom and counsel, even from other people, godly people, even though he's the wisest man to ever live. Seek counsel. And then the next one, step five, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse four. It's my, my life verse. I love this verse. Delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. So we need to be very careful to be sure, certain that we are delighting in the Lord, which means our delight, our joy, our hope, it, it all comes from the Lord, is all fueled by the Lord. And, and and now you're where you need to be in your relationship with God. You are delighting in God. And, and and listen, when when you're delighting in the Lord, his desires become your desires. Catch that? If you're delighting in God, his desires become your desires. And so hear that verse again now in that light. Delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart are the desires of God when you're really delighting in Him. So, going through the progression of steps to this point, the Bible's not clear about your decision, it's not black and white on your decision. And you've fervently prayed through the decision, you've sought godly counsel from people, and you're confident that you're delighting in the Lord, you're where you need to be with God, then you might be surprised, but do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Because God, in his sovereignty, will impute his desires into your heart. And so if you really are where you need to be with God, and you're delighting in him, what you want to do is coming from the Lord, because you're fueled by the Lord. So delight in the Lord. Last step here, practically take it home Exercise faith. Exercise faith. In fact, act on the decision in that faith that that God has led you to. Remember, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 14 tells us that the path of following Christ is a narrow path, and that there are few people on that path. And so don't be surprised that that when you've gone through this biblical progression of how to make a God-honoring decision, you find yourself alone in making that decision. Don't be surprised at that. So often we say, why, why am I alone in this? And God says, because you're doing what I told you to do. And I told you it's not a popular path. I told you it's a narrow path. And few people find it. I told you that the other path is broad. But it leads to destruction. But no, be confident that the path of, of following me It leads to life. So in faith, make that step. Make that decision that, that God has called you to. Exercise faith. It's that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 principle, right? Let me quote it for you. You've heard it as a kid, I'm sure if you've grown up in and around the Christian faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge Him. He will direct your path. And that's really what the Christian life really comes down to. That's what it's really all about. It's a life that says, God, I can't do it on my own. In fact, I refuse to do it on my own. I'm leaning on you trusting in you and I'm going to exercise the, the faith that you've called me to, to make this decision and to live the life that you called me to do. Where every decision in your life becomes a God decision. Every decision in your life becomes a God decision. Where every decision in your life begins to be filtered by scripture. And that's, I just prayed, I was praying that yesterday for us as a church. It would be a church of people who make decisions that run through a biblical filter in all that we do. And, and I believe that if, if we do that, wow, God's going to do some incredible things in us and, and through us. That we're not short-sighted in our decision-making, but we run it through Scripture and this, this, this filter of this progression of biblical decision-making. And many of you guys had big decisions before you. You've taken some big steps. Run it through this. And this last step, exercise the faith necessary. It might be a step that causes you to be alone through a period. God's going to honor it. Take that step. Some of us in here, maybe we just need to make that first and foremost, most important decision that a person could ever make, and that's the decision to place faith in Christ. And that's really what it comes down to. It's faith in Christ, not faith in self. It's, it's what we call the great exchange in theology. It's, it's, he says, you can't do it. I can't do it. You're unrighteous. I'm righteous, so I'm going to exchange my righteousness for your unrighteousness, and I'm going to take your unrighteousness with me on the cross. We're going to nail it to the cross. It's going to die. And then I'm going to resurrect to life, resurrecting you to life and giving you life, abundantly, life eternally. It starts with this most important decision, the step of faith and say, Jesus, I need you. I turn from me and myself, and I turn to you, and I turn to following you and living a life that honors you. Help me in that. Maybe that is the decision you need to make this morning. Maybe some of us just need to get on our knees and say, God, I confess to you that I have not been looking to you for decisions. I've just been making all these decisions short-sightedly, without you, without considering my, my, my spouse, my children, my family, others around me. So let's think through these things. Can I pray for us? Father God, I just thank you so much. I thank you so much for your word for what it means that I pray that you would just be glorified in the hearing of the word and how we receive it Father I pray that for every single person in this room wherever they're at with decisions they need to make God I pray you would open their eyes to what's true and what's right first from your word and then from godly counsel and, and just committed prayer and being where they need to be with you Would line our wills up if you will. God, if there's anybody in here this morning who needs to make that most incredible first decision to place faith in Christ alone, Lord, I pray that you would help them to take that step. As we saw in our, our last series, that you would give us faith. So I commit them to you. We are your church. and We want to honor you well. In Jesus' name, amen.